Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 1. We're starting to work our way through Hebrews, and uh, we come today to the, to the comparison of Christ and angels. And I know that angels have been real popular in our culture in recent days, and so I thought I would go to the internet and just uh, do a little search to see what popped up. And I just put the two words into the search engine, angel pins. I know that uh, there have been some things uh, with some particular people over the years, uh, recent years, that have made the idea of, of an angel pin and an angel watching over me and so on. They've made them very popular. So I, I thought, I'll just see what's there under, under the search for angel pins. And... Uh, if you're not familiar with the internet, what happens when you, when, when you, uh, when you uh, do that search, what comes up is something that looks like this, which is a list of places you could go to to see information about what you've asked about. And so, uh, and it, it shows you a certain number of those, and then if you want to see more, you press the bottom at the bottom, uh, the button at the bottom of the screen that says, you know, do you want to see more? And you keep going, and uh, page after page. Well, I stopped at 200, see these paragraphs? I stopped at 200 of these paragraphs under angel pins. Uh, I didn't have all day to keep going and to keep printing things out, but I thought that was interesting in and of itself. Some of the sites you might be interested in. Keepsake angel pins. Our angel pin is fashioned from the recycled handles of old forks and spoons. Each one-of-a-kind pin combines handcrafted artistry and the beauty of antique silverware. Angel pins, I can't even pronounce this probably correctly, Zalemi's designs have swept the country. Women from the most serious-minded to the most spontaneous. That's a real gracious way to put it, isn't it? From the most serious-minded to the most spontaneous have clamored to own and wear a Zalemi original. By Angel Pins Online, we offer a large selection of religious jewelry, including angel pins. The cross, crucifix, and angel outlet. Apparently you can get a whole angel there, I don't know. Announcing a wide selection of both popular and rare 14 karat gold crosses, crucifixes, and guardian angel jewelry. Uh, angel Pins for Littleton. Littleton, Colorado, where there was a school shooting. Show your support and prayer for the family, friends, and survivors by making angel pins. Here's an oxymoron. Cat angel pins. <laughs> you think about it, you'll laugh later on. Cat angel pins. This beautifully crafted pin is genuine pewter complete with 24 karat gold wings. A cat with wings, now that's what we need. I picked one site and went to it. Each angel is lovingly handmade 
by Maria Philosa, so no two angels will be exactly alike. The first angel I made was also my most popular. The wings are from, are from a heart, as are the hands. Love dwells within this angel. The love is meant to be passed along to others who cross our paths along life's way. I wrote a poem which is attached to this angel, and it should be passed along as well. A guardian angel's prayer. It seems that every now and then we need a helping hand, someone to lift our spirits, a guardian angel friend. I'll stay with you, watch over you, and guide you on your way. I'll help you through the tough times and brighten up your day. But when you find another soul who needs a helping hand, please pass me on and share the light a guardian angel sends. Now that is just as sweet as it can be. Let's see what God has to say. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for those who will inherit salvation? The book of Hebrews is written like a good sermon. That is, it has an idea, and then the idea is developed by a series of points and illustrations and applications and so on. And what's really important, especially today, is that you not mistake the thesis of my sermon, which is the same, I hope, as the thesis of the scripture. See, I'm not here to preach about angels today. What I am here to preach about is Jesus. Do you understand what verse 4 said? Jesus became so much, so much better than the angels. Something has gotten convoluted in our society when the angels are so much that Jesus seems to disappear. 
The thesis of this book of Hebrews is God has given us the ultimate and final communication in his son Jesus Christ. He has told us all that we need to know, as Peter puts it, for life and godliness. It's all right there. And it would appear from the content of this book that it was written to Jewish believers. Now, if you're new in Christianity, you really have to take your mind back and understand the inception of Christianity that came out of the Old Testament Jewish religion, if you will. God worked with his people, Israel, in a unique way in the Old Testament. And what they missed, a lot of them, was that he was preparing them for the ultimate, the complete, the perfect salvation in Christ. And when Christ came, many of them did come to faith in Christ, but... As they went along in their Christian life, other folks came around and said, Oh yes, do believe in Jesus, but don't fail to keep all of these Old Testament laws and rituals and practices also. And this book of Hebrews appears to have been written with the purpose in mind of saying, Listen, Christian, there is nothing to be mixed together with Jesus Christ. And in particular today, he's going to start by talking about angels. Angels were very significant to the folks of the Jewish religion. Part of that significance they learned from God, and part of it they made up. Because God did, in fact, use angels, and we'll see how he did that. But this book is written to believers, and uh, some of you may have Jewish descent here today or may not. I, I was surprised one day in my former church to find out that my secretary was uh, a quarter Jewish, and so there may be somebody here today who is partly Jewish as well. But this book is more broadly written to us today to say, believer, cling to Christ alone. Don't mix anything with it. He is the ultimate. We don't need anything else. And the author of this sermon, under God's inspiration, begins his, this message of Hebrews by saying, first of all, folks, Jesus is so much better than the angels. Why is he better than the angels? We are given a list of reasons here, and they are all quoted from the Old Testament. If your Bible is uh, written in such a way that it offsets quotes from the regular text, you'll notice, notice that from verse 5 to verse 14, the majority of the text is set off as a quote because these are quotes from the Old Testament. Why is Jesus better than the angels? First of all, he is better because of his title. Look at verse 4. He has become so much better than the angels as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. What is the excellent name of Christ that only he has? It is the Son of God. It is true that the angels were called, sometimes in the Old Testament, they were called the sons of God, in a plural sense, referring to all of them. And we are told that when we accept Christ, we become a son of God. We are adapted into his family. But Jesus has received the superior name, which is the Son of God. This is a quote from Psalm 2-7, which is also quoted in Acts 13-33 by the Apostle Paul when he was preaching about Jesus. He said, hey, this guy is the Son of God. 
It says here that this name is more excellent. And the word more excellent is a compound word that emphasizes different. Not the same as. It is better and different. None of the angels are ever declared by God to have a special place of sonship. The sonship of Jesus was declared in the birth announcement to Mary, at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and through his resurrection. Over and over, God says, this, this is my son in particular, in a unique way. Here it tells us that he deserves this name because of an inheritance. How in the world can God inherit anything? He already owns it all. It says here that because of an inheritance, he has obtained an excellent name. We have to look carefully at a few of these words and be prepared to deal with some of our friends who have been fooled in certain religions. Verse 4 says, having become. The King James says, having been made or being made. It would give some people the idea that Jesus was created. And so he was better because he was created better than the angels, but both are created. And of course, if Jesus was created, he is not God. But the word is not the word for made, it's the word begotten. Better, it's better translated become, and then later in verse 5 it says, I have begotten you. Jesus always existed, but the superior name he received was by virtue of the ministry he performed when his human body was begotten. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is a familiar passage to us, but part of it really applies to helping us understand this superior name he has been given and the inheritance he has been given. Isaiah 53 verse 10. The whole passage is about Jesus and his suffering to pay for our sin and to buy us salvation. In verse 10, we read this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Well, we can preach for several weeks on that passage. But it says several things that we need to understand that come help us to understand the book of Hebrews. He says, when Jesus was on the cross, God took all of our sins and laid them on him. Our iniquity was put on him. That's why we have to put faith in his work of salvation. He was able to be on the cross and endure the punishment of God. And God poured it all out on him. You see the scripture there says God was satisfied. What does that mean? What it means is God has a claim on you, a demand on you because of your sin. 
When you buy a house, the bank is the one who really owns it. And they own it all the way until you pay them back everything you borrowed. And if you are to sell the house before you have paid them back completely, they're going to be right there at the table waiting for their check. They have a claim on your house that must be satisfied before you can be free of the obligation. God says that when we, in Adam, sinned, our sin is upon us, and he has a claim on us, which is, you need to pay for that sin. Now, the sad truth is, us Christians cannot pay for it. I mean, excuse me, us unbelievers can't pay for it. Us Christians can't pay for it either. Because we're sinful. Even if we were to hang on the cross and shed our blood, it would be of no avail, because God would pour out his wrath, and it would just consume us. And we would spend the rest of eternity in hell because we're sinful to begin with. But the perfect son of God, he came, and in what sense was he begotten by God? His human body was begotten by God. The Holy Spirit says to Mary, Mary, that which is in you will be by the power of God. And his human body was begotten, and in that body, the second person of the Trinity the perfect God-man hung on the cross and paid for our sin. And if you put your faith in that sacrifice of Christ, your sin is wiped away. God is satisfied with his sacrifice. No more sacrifice needs to be made. And as we come back to the book of Hebrews, we understand what we have also read here in, in Isaiah, because Jesus was willing to take on the human body because he was willing to suffer and be humiliated and even go to the extent of dying for us. Because of that, God said, Jesus, here's the whole universe. It's all yours. It's his inheritance. And what he says to us here in Hebrews is this. Did God ever say to an angel, you're my son. Here's the world. No. He gave him the most excellent name, by right of the work that he did. He earned it, he deserves it, it's his. Philippians 2.9 puts it this way, after talking about the humiliation of Christ and his sacrifice. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Why? Because he humbled himself and he took on the form of a human being and he suffered and died. And so God said, you are my son and here is the universe. So as the writer of Hebrews under God's inspiration begins to help these people understand who they should listen to, he says, Jesus is better than the angels, first of all, because he has a superior name that he earned by his work for us. Number two, in verse six of Hebrews one, Jesus is better than the angels because God commands the angels to worship him. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, and that little phrase there is debated by the scholars as to how it ought to be interpreted, it either means one of two things. Neither, either it should be translated this way. Again, he says, he's saying a whole series of things. He says this and this, and again he says, when the firstborn comes into the world, referring to the time of Christ at his birth, or it is a reference to when he again brings him into the world. We call that the second coming of Christ. 
I think it probably refers to that first entrance of Christ into the world because what did the shepherds see at the birth of Christ? The angels of God singing, or not singing, we say that they sang, they were speaking and saying, glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping at the birth of Christ. Well, certainly the one who is commanded to worship is not as good as the one who is worshiped. He says here that he is the firstborn into the world. Does that mean he was the first one born? Again, our friends who are mistaken in their beliefs say, see right there, Jesus was the first one born. No, the word firstborn there does not mean number one, number two, number three, birth order. This is the first one born. The firstborn is a term of the position given to the son with the inheritance rights. It's used of King Solomon, for instance, who was the tenth listed in the genealogy in Chronicles, the tenth in his family, but he's called the firstborn. It's a position given based on the will of the Father. It has to do with inheritance. It has to do with the, the rights of ownership of what the family owns. He is called the firstborn not because he was ever born as in, as, as in came into existence. He is firstborn because he holds that position this is a quote taken from Psalm 97, 7, where he is set up as the object of worship. In Colossians 1, 15, Jesus is also spoken of as the firstborn of all creation, the one to be worshipped. Jesus is better than the angels because God commands them to worship him. And then number three, Jesus is better than the angels because they are his servants. Look at verse 7 and 14 here of Hebrews 1. Of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire then verse 14 are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation the word angel literally means messenger this may be where part of the confusion comes in our society today we we have this word angel as an english word and and uh when we come at Christmas time and the kids are up here, we say, oh, aren't they just little angels? <laughs> or maybe you're sick at home and your wife takes care of you. It could happen. And <laughs> when she brings you something, you say, oh, you're just an angel. And of course, that word to us means a very nice person. A cute person, a, 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 you know, warm and fuzzy. But that's not what the scripture word means at all. And that's where part of the confusion comes in our concept of angels. The word angel means a messenger. <clears throat> and if you look at all the times in scripture when God sent his angels out, his messengers out, and you look at what they did, you will not get all warm and fuzzy. You'll get, whoa, stand back. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, boom! Work of the angels. Yeah. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, get out of here! Angel with a flaming sword. Oh yeah, I feel all warm and fuzzy. I want to wear that on my lapel. Well, I do, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God's concept of an angel is a minister to do his bidding. Now, are there some 
pleasant works of angels in the scripture? Absolutely. One of the most amazing ones is in the book of Daniel. When Daniel is pouring his heart out in prayer to God about the captivity of Israel, and all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel, and he goes, Daniel, I just came from the presence of God to answer your prayer. Oh, man, I'd like to see that happen. What an incredible thing. Shows you what kind of a guy Daniel must have been. Angels are the servants of God. They are not necessarily warm and fuzzy. They do not have wings. They are spirit beings. Look at verse 7. He makes his angels spirits. See, we don't understand the concept of a spirit body. All we know is tangible or intangible. There is a spiritual realm that we cannot see. Remember God says we are fighting against spiritual forces of darkness. There are spiritual bodies, and angels are spiritual beings. They have a spirit body. We do not know what it is. He says he makes them spirits. He makes his minister a flame of fire. And then the primary thing that we know about angels is in verse 14. They are ministering spirits sent forth by God. In this case, we are told to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Now, I read a really interesting quote that I, I hope you get from a man, a, a Bible scholar named Gromacki. If you don't know that name, I'd be glad to share it with you later and tell you about him. Here's the quote. Get this. There is no indication in Scripture what the exact ministry of an angel to a believer is. Okay? Now, a guy like that doesn't make a statement like that unless he can defend it. Now, here's the importance of that. Do you have a guardian angel assigned to you 24-7? I don't know. Are there angels here in the church? I don't know. Do you know what I do when I don't know something about God and his world? I don't make it up. And I don't say, well, I just think. Don't do that. Be a real Bible believer. Leave it at what God says. What does he say they do? He says they minister for us Christians. I don't know what that means. I, I think part of it has to do with that spiritual battle in the heavenly places that we don't see. And we see some evidence of that in the scripture of, of the, the righteous angels battling with the demons. And there could be some of that going on. I'm going to leave it right at that, and I hope you don't speculate further. Here's the key thing, folks, and this is what you've got to remember today. Why is that written here in Hebrews 1? It's written here to tell us the angels aren't the guy. Jesus is. Don't waste your time thinking about the angels. You want the angels to do something for you? Pray to God. Say, God, please take care of me today. And if God needs to use an angel to do that, he'll do it. And if he just wants to do it, he'll just do it. The Jesus is better than the angels because they are his servants. They minister for him not only to us believers, but in all of the world. Read the book of Revelation if you want to see about angels and understand about them not being warm and fuzzy. Who are the, who, who are the agents of God's judgment on the world in the tribulation? It's the angels. That's right. 
God used the angels. You see, the thing that messed up the, the Jewish believers and, and the Jewish folks was this. Uh, God used angels in the delivery of the Old Testament. Now, it's, that's referred to in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It's also referred to in Galatians 3.19. And so, because God used angels in the delivery of his word to mankind, some people got all focused on the angels. And they didn't go, wait a minute, the angel is just the messenger boy. That's what God is bringing us back to today. The angels are nothing. Yes, they're powerful spirit beings. Right now, they're more powerful than us. But we, someday, will rule with Jesus. And you know what else Romans 8 tells us? We are co-heirs with Christ. Someday, we're going to be ruling over them, so don't think they're anything today. They are God's servants for our benefit and for his benefit around the world. Fourthly, Jesus is better than the angels because he is the eternal king. Turn with me to Psalm 45, please. Psalm 45, verse 2. This psalm, most likely written by King David, uh, most likely the first half of the book of Psalms written by King David. And David writes uh, certainly about himself, uh, but also beyond that. Let, let's start in verse 1. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. At least by this point, we know that David is not talking about himself. Because David did not live forever and ever, and he never called himself God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Does that sound familiar? Go back to Hebrews 1. But to the Son, he says in verse 8, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. For God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the eternal king. God told Eve after her sin, someday Eve, your seed, your, your descendant, there will be a descendant out of you who will bruise the head of Satan. In other words, he will give a mortal wound to Satan. That was the promise of salvation she was given. Later on, God chose Abraham 
one of the descendants of Eve, to be the father of a great nation, what we refer to as the Jewish people or the nation of Israel. Later on, God chose King David and told him that someone from his family would always be the king of God's people. We call that the Davidic covenant, the, co the covenant God made with David. Here, we find God saying about Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. We find God the Father saying of Jesus, you are God and your throne will last forever and ever. Jesus is the king. If you're, if you're a movie watcher, you saw a very famous movie where a young man said, I'm the king of the world. He felt like the king of the world. But he wasn't. Jesus is the king of the world. What a marvelous truth. Not the angels, they're just the messenger boys. The fifth reason that Jesus is better than the angels in verse 10 of Hebrews 1, he is the creator. Look at the quote here from the Old Testament taken from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Where I lived in Tukwila, right down the end of the street used to be the Nordstrom Rack. Nordstrom Rack is where all the stuff that's not still in style goes. And the price goes way down, and that's where the Baptist goes shop. They moved that store way far away a few years ago, so I didn't get to go there as much. But I went there one time, and there was a suit there for like 50 bucks. It was like an all-wool Nordstrom suit for like 50 bucks. And I went, whoa! And I put the jacket on and it fit me. And I went, oh, yeah. And then, you know, I, I found as I looked a little hole at a certain spot. There's a wool suit and kind of a plaid thing. And I thought, well, you know, they can reweave. They can take a little piece of cloth and they can reweave that. So I thought, I'm buying this suit. So I bought the suit and I took the pants, looked in the yellow pages, found a place that would do the reweaving. I took it there and they found two spots where there was little holes and they... Reweaved them, and all of a sudden, my 50 buck suit was up to about 90 bucks. And then they said, Well, you know, there's a bunch of more of these little holes here and there, and some kind of a creature got in and ate my suit. And then I was talking to some people in church, and this lady says, well, I know how to do reweaving. I used to work at a dry cleaner. So I said, Great. So she took my suit, and several months later, when it didn't fit anymore, it came back. <laughs> it's still hanging in my closet. Oh yeah, baby, it's coming out someday. No promises, no predictions, but it's coming out someday. You know, when clothes get old, we roll them up. What we do now, we roll them up, we put them in a shopping bag, and we take them to the Goodwill store. And you know, the Goodwill sells them if they're good, and you know what they do if they're not good? They put them into big containers and they go to a place and they're chewed up into rag. They, they, they chew up the fabric and they reuse the fibers. It's rags. You know what God says about the world? It's going to get rolled up like an old garment tossed away. You know why? Because it's full of sin. 
Do you think God would allow something full of sin, even redeemed full of sin, to last forever and ever? No way. That's why your body goes in the ground, and when it's resurrected, it's a new body. God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. You know what this tells us about Jesus right here? He created it. And while it is going to get rolled up and thrown away, he's still going to be there. He's not going anywhere. He is eternal. We draw his lifeline with an arrow on one end and an arrow on the other end. He is eternal. He is outside of time. He is outside of our universe. What are the angels? They are his created messenger boys. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the creator, the sustainer, and he will outlast creation. 2 Peter 3.13 says God's going to create a new world in which righteousness dwells. Sixthly, and lastly here, Jesus is better than the angels because God has given him the ultimate position of authority. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand? Till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, if you really know your Bible, you know that one of the angels not only wanted to sit at God's right hand, he wanted the big chair. Is Kathy with the kids today? Kathy, oh, she's not here. You know what Kathy Galay suggested. We get the, yeah, oh yeah, I'm telling on her. She's not here. She thinks she's going to make fun of me. I'm going to let her, yeah, yeah. We get these funny catalogs, and they're not that funny to some folks, in the mail all the time, and one of them had big, massive pulpit thrones. They don't call them thrones, but that's what they look like. And she said, we need to get a great big chair for you to sit in on the platform. And I said, yes, we do. No, we don't. There was a day when Satan came to God and he said, I want to sit on the throne. He was a created angel being. Maybe, speculation here, he may have been the top of the angelic order. They do have some rank and some responsibilities. He's called the many-colored one or the beautiful one. That's what Lucifer means. He said, I want to sit in the chair. And God said, not only will you not sit in the chair, you will be cast out of heaven and you will be put into everlasting punishment. You know, the, the, one of the primary references to hell is it says, the lake of fire, which is reserved for the devil and his followers, his demons or angels. God is sitting in the big chair. And he says, Jesus, you sit right here. Boom. It's the highest position of honor there is next to God the Father. Jesus is better than the angels because he has been given the ultimate position of authority. These words are from Psalm 110, verse 1. Turn to Philippians 2, if you would, in our last scripture passage this morning. A little passage of scripture that one of our men used to always misteach purely by accident. <laughs> but we really need to understand this. One of our men in our, in our previous church he loved the Lord and wanted people to know the Lord, and he wanted to understand that what was ahead. And look what Philippians 2 says here. 
God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The part that he got wrong in his communication was he would say, you're going to have to bow now or you're going to bow later. But he, what he forgot to say was, when you bow later, it will be in judgment, not worship. And then you will go to hell. Every knee is going to bow. You will bow your knee to Jesus Christ someday. You can do it now in worship and say, you are my God. You are my Savior. I accept you, I receive you, I believe you, I follow you. Or you can stiffen your face and stubborn your heart and someday God will look you right in the eye and say, you bow before my son, the king of the world. And it'll be right before he says, away with you, I never knew you. What's the reflection on this book of, on this chapter of Hebrews? My mind goes back to a, over a year ago when we saw a band of terrorists from a group called Al-Qaeda attack our country in a way that just blew us away. It just totally surprised us. It surprised us that we could be attacked. It surprised us that we would be attacked. It surprised us in the way we were attacked. The events of 9-11 were, were compared, and I think aptly so, to Pearl Harbor in, in several ways, uh, certainly in one way that many people lost their lives when we were not actually at war. We were attacked by surprise. But the thing that comes to bear on our situation today is this. In World War II, one of the phrases that was used was this, we have awaked, awakened the sleeping giant. Did the folks in Al-Qaeda think they were going to blow up a couple of buildings and we were going to roll over and let them invade us and conquer us? What were they thinking? How many, how many soldiers could they possibly have? Did they think that we weren't just going to rise up and go, no! What were they thinking? They're They're goofy. You know, a few years ago, we could almost visualize the Soviet Union attacking us, and we thought, well, you know, it's going to be a tough go, but we can win. But this little band of folks were thinking, where's your head? Well, here's what I want to say today about angels and Jesus. If you're paying any attention to angels, I just want to say, where's your head? Because Jesus is the king. Why in the world would you talk to an angel? Why in the world would you elevate the angel to some status of dignity by wearing a, a lapel pin? And, and I'm not saying it's sinful to wear an angel pin. No, don't get me wrong here. But why in the world would you, would you go around and hope, well, I hope my guardian angel's paying attention today? I hope Jesus is paying attention today. In fact, I don't hope. I know he's paying attention today. The real point of today's sermon is this. Why would you let anything come in between you and God in your worship? Another human? Another supposed deity? Why would you listen to any other voice but God's voice? May God help us make Christ our all in all.
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word and making it clear and plain. And today, Father, we sense that you have, have labored over many verses to make sure we get the point that the angels are not to be any kind of an object of worship or adoration for us, but your Son is. Father, may we this week examine our worship life to make sure that it is focused right on Jesus, the author of our salvation, the King of the world, who wants to be the King of our heart. I pray in His name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.